Hello and welcome to Murder Dictionary Podcast. My name is Brianna and that is Courtney. Hello. So before we get into our next case for the letter O, let's remind you of a few things you'll find in our show notes. We always put links to our social media if you want to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Murder Dictionary Podcast, then you will get updates on new episodes, new Patreon episodes, memes, some breaking news whenever there's some true crime stuff happening, and you'll find links to the resources that we use to research every episode. So if you ever want to look more into the story and check out some articles and stuff like that, then you can find those links in our show notes. And we also provide resources for things like domestic violence, uh, 12-step, LGBTQ stuff, anti-bullying stuff. So there's always some links to things like that, Um, suicide hotlines, uh, etc. All those resources that you may need to access or um, want to access on behalf of someone else. And we also have links to our Threadless where you can get merch like cups and t-shirts and phone cases and grocery bags, stuff like that. And we have links to our Patreon where we post our bonus episodes, ad-free episodes, and extra content and stuff. So we want to say thank you to the new people that are on our Patreon. We have Sierra... Megan, Casey, and Destiny. Thank you. So thanks, you guys, for being on our Patreon. And again, if you want to join, just go to patreon.com slash murder dictionary podcast. And I think that's it for me. We can kind of get into our next organ theft case for tonight. Do we have to? I really don't feel like it. I'm just going to be honest. I'm... (laughs) really um, feeling queasy pretty much every day since we started talking about organ theft. (laughs) And I'm ready to uh, not think about organs being taken out of people while they're still alive. So I'm looking forward to this being over. There's been other topics that are, you know, like, eh, that one, I didn't really like it, whatever. You know, you hear us complain about nothing all the time. But This one, it's like a special kind of, oh, God, I have to look this up. I got to keep reading about this. Right. And it's a wormhole because you look up one thing and then you start looking up another case and then there's not much information. Then you try and go to another case. Then we found this one that's like a true wormhole where it's just every little thing leads to something else. So then now you've got all these pages open where you're like, looking up how much a kidney costs and stuff. And it's like, I, these are things I did never want to know, ever. And now I just have knowledge of it, and it's in my brain forever. Yeah, if we weren't on watch list before, which I'm sure I am. Yeah, this this was definitely the tipping point where it's like, yeah, for sure, this is a confirmation. I can just assume I am for sure on a watch list. Definitely. If I'm just looking the, up buying organs and stuff, yeah. it's, yeah. Just FBI's for the Google searches alone. Yep. So, um, like we said previously on our last week's episode, you know, we were looking for cases that more fit the urban legend of, you know, someone waking up 
without a kidney. And, you know, those things aren't really cases that you can easily find because it doesn't seem like there's a lot of them out there actually happening. There are some where people are willingly giving up their kidneys, stuff like that. But the source of the urban legend just doesn't seem to be out there. But we did find this huge, massive case uh, out of China where there are a lot of people of one particular group that are being victimized and um, having their organs stolen. So we are going to talk tonight about a group called Falun Gong. So before we do that, we'll just talk a little bit more about organ theft in general, kind of like we covered a few generalities from last week. We're going to, you know, at least get some of that information out of the way so you know a little bit about the organ trade. So theft of organs is more common than murder for organs, but it does happen. Medicine murder is a killing strictly for the purpose of extracting body parts, specifically to use in transplant, religious rituals, or witchcraft. And for clarification, medicine murders is different than medical murders, which medical murders are basically doctor's negligence. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Got that? <laughs> yep. Got it. These, this is the easy part before the queasiness sets in. I can do this. <laughs> so because of the lack of donors, as we discussed last week, experts estimate that there are about 10,000 commercial transplants, also known as transplants involving payments, every year worldwide. 10,000. Wow. So this means approximately 10% of all worldwide transplants involve an exchange of money. And we talked about last week, especially in the United States, you're not allowed to charge money for organs. So like any money that uh, exchanges hands for organs is for things like transport, extraction, the surgical procedure, storage, stuff like that. But it can't be just for the organ or tissue itself. It has to be for costs incurred to get the organ from point A to point B, basically. That makes sense. In many countries, it is illegal to sell or buy organs, and physicians are prohibited from transplanting organs that are paid for. So that urban legend about the ice tub and the missing kidney, if someone shows up with someone's kidney and says, put this in my body, the doctors can't even legally do that. That doesn't work? (laughs) No, that's not how it works at all. Bummer. Even the World Health Organization specifically requires that organs be obtained through donation only. So like we discussed, no money can be exchanged. It's just for things like harvesting, storing, and delivery that money can cross hands. In the organ trade, it is true that often people from more affluent countries seek out organs in developing countries from organ traffickers who usually exploit or coerce people into selling their organs. It's crucial to acknowledge, of course, that urban legends about organ theft, they often have these undertones of xenophobia and racism, and we don't want to perpetuate that at all. No. 
<laughs> so it's important to bring up that we are not talking about the untrue stories where a guy from the U.S. gets seduced by a woman in a developing country and then wakes up in a bathtub of ice missing a kidney. We just really could not find any verifiable cases of this happening. And we even asked you guys last week and nobody sent us any cases. So I just don't see it being out there. There must be some origin case where it happened once and then the urban legend was born. But I can't find that case. And Courtney can't find that case. So never found patient zero. No. no. I mean, it's just got to be like it. Okay, it happened. It happened. I, I go with it happened. I'm assuming it <laughs> happened once. <laughs> yeah. And then everybody was like, you don't want to be that guy. Remember that asshole? He right. lost a kidney and woke up in ice. So I don't know. I, I think that it's it's definitely also used as a scare tactic. Right. I think it's just one of those things that perpetuates xenophobia and racism, you know, of just people are afraid of certain things happening to them, whether it's like the guy going on vacation to a foreign country and scared that someone's going to take advantage of him or he'll end up in like the movie Hostel or some shit, you know, or someone in a developing country that's scared that, you know, people from rich countries come and will just take parts of them you know i mean that's on both sides people are afraid and it's based in this xenophobia really and we do not want to perpetuate that no not at all and we also want to clarify that people from affluent countries aren't preying on developing nations and leaving individuals on ice missing organs usually when there's instances of organs being taken. It's like this whole trafficking network that is just almost never brought down, but it's not one individual showing up and taking advantage of another individual. It's a much larger scale and like internal thing of someone, you know, from a certain country recruiting like their family members and friends and, and having a whole system set up. Typically, people do come from richer countries like Japan, Taiwan, Saudi Arabia, Israel, the United States, Western and Western Europe to seek out brokers that obtain organs because they're in a desperate health crisis and they've exhausted all other options. You know, people in these situations, they're not just coming in for kicks to steal these organs like they're afraid for their lives, you know doesn't make it right, but they're definitely not in a, a healthy state of mind. They're scared and trying to fix it. The countries where incidents of organ sales or theft are most prominent are China, Pakistan, the Philippines, Egypt, Turkey, Kosovo, and South Africa. Iran is the only country in the world where it's actually legal to sell organs. And they've even established a base price for organs of $4,600. That's amazing. Yeah, it just, it's, it blows my mind. And I wonder, the thing that I didn't do enough research on, and I maybe, I don't know if the information is out there, but does that system work for them? You know, is it something that, 
you know, maybe other countries can adopt and people can sell them? I don't know. Or is it something that's just causing problems and more of a rift and a divide between people that are, you know, upper class, upper middle class or something and people that are in poverty? I don't know. Yeah, it's interesting of them to just put it right on out there, too. Right. Just like, yep, this is legal and we're selling them and this is how much it costs. We don't care what you think. Right. So it's safe to say that the organ trade is inherently exploitative since poor and vulnerable members of society are sought out by brokers that are specifically selling to the rich. Typically, it can cost between $50,000 and $150,000 to buy an organ for transplant. Yet, the person who is the donor often earns as low as $1,000 for their organ. That's not enough. Isn't that absolutely mind-blowing? I just... Oh, man, it just hurts to hear that because these people who are in a desperate situation that are like, I need this thousand dollars to pay for whatever it is for my family. And then someone's making 150 times that much. It just blows my mind. So reported prices for different organ and tissues are corneas or thirty thousand dollars. Lungs, 150,000, heart, 150,000, liver, 98,000, and kidneys, 62,000. In the case of kidneys, which are the most commonly bought organ, the criminals will often tell the victims that the kidney will grow back, or that having two kidneys is unnatural, or even that they have a large and small kidney, so removal of the small kidney is harmless. But the reality is that in many of these cases, the medical expenses after the kidney is removed actually makes their financial situation even worse than before they sold the organ. Jeez. Yeah. I mean, the recovery, you know, and yeah. just all this stuff. I mean, you're having a major surgery. Mm-hmm. It's just, yeah, it's no good. It's awful. They're completely being exploited and taken advantage of. And they end up way worse off. It's so sad. So even though it is illegal, very little is done to stop illegal organ trade, really in any country. The organ trade is not prioritized by law enforcement or any government And organ traffickers are rarely caught, which is why, I mean, we've had an extremely hard time even finding any cases of organ trafficking. It's been difficult. They just cannot make anything stick. No, not at all. When an organ ring or a victim is discovered, there's almost always nobody brought to justice for the crime. In 1984, China passed a law that allowed organs of executed prisoners to be used in organ transplants if no one objected. One of the reasons China opted to allow organs to be taken from executed prisoners is because they did not even have a formal organ donation program set up for people to volunteer until 2010. That's a really long time to not have a program. Sorry. Like, that's just, that's too late for me. (laughs) I honestly had no idea. I could not believe when I read that. 
That's so recent. Everybody else in the world has some sort of donor program. I don't Since understand. Since at least the 90s, you know? Yeah. Minimum. At least. So from 2003 to 2009, only 130 people in China signed up to be organ donors. And there are 1.393 billion people in China as of 2018. And in 2010, only 37 people signed up. That's These numbers are just... Astounding, right? Yeah. It's just staggering. There's just, it's a huge, huge country. The population is just enormous and nobody is a donor. And I mean, one of the reasons for this, it's important to point out, is just their cultural customs. They don't sign up because post-mortem, your body is supposed to be kept intact, according to a lot of spiritual, religious beliefs, a lot of cultural beliefs that are held. And I can't fault people for that. I mean, if that's what you grew up believing and you just don't think about donating your organs because it's not part of your society, it's not part of your culture. And 37 people in 2010, it's just not enough. No, I mean, there's just so many people that need organs in every country. So especially with the huge population that they have, I imagine that the demand is just so high. And so it it just, it's very sad that they didn't have anything set up until 2010, and people still aren't really signing up to be donors. Yeah, I just, I don't know how to change that, but part of me just feels like very passionately that that just needs to change because people are out there dying because they're not willing to have the type of donation program that's set up in every other country where there's a lot of donors that are willing to give up their pieces post-mortem you know like yeah I know it's not a pretty thing to think about but it saves people's lives you know what I mean like there's some comfort in that knowing that you've helped someone else anyway so in China most transplant recipients are not told how the organ came to them and are never asked to sign any paperwork with information about the donor In the late 2000s, word began spreading that most organs in China were coming from prisoners who were executed for their spiritual practice of Falun Gong. Falun Gong is a religious spiritual practice that was started in Northeast China by former trumpet player Li Hongzi around 1992. Li's teachings were similar to many other spiritual practices in China, but he also offered a path to enlightenment and salvation to those that were faithful to, quote, Master Li. He quickly became a bit of a deity in the group, and there were rumors that Master Li could do things like walk through walls and levitate. Today, Falun Gong is practiced in over 70 countries, and a 2008 estimate put followers in the range of 40 to 100,000. It's kind of a big gap, but that's not a small group, you know? Although it's a relatively new religious movement in that it was founded very recently, their core principles and practices draw from ancient spirituality similar to like Buddhism and Taoism. 
using kind of breathing exercises, Qigong and yoga, slow movements, you know, that kind of stuff. Many people say that their first awareness of Falun Gong was through seeing groups doing meditations in the park. I think most people, if you think about this, you've probably seen it. Unless it's very similar to Tai Chi. Yes, yes. And uh, yeah, I meant to say that too. Like kind of these slow moving, like deep breath, move slow, just kind of meditate through slow movement and breathing, you know, that kind of stuff. And they would do it in groups out in public. So that's a lot of people's first exposure was like, oh, what are they doing? Oh, that's just Falun Gong, you know? Yeah. Their main focus is the healing practice of meditation. Falun Gong's main three principles, which are used as a motto, is truth, compassion, and tolerance. Falun Gong means law wheel practice in Chinese, and their emblem is a yellow swastika on a red background. It's one of the few things that threw me off. I could get behind a lot of the Falun Gong things, but I don't understand why they used a swastika. Do you yeah, know any, I, anything yeah, about that? I could, I'm totally into the park. I'm really fine with the meditation, all right. of this. Cool with it. I'll be there. But the yellow swastika, and I couldn't, how else do you explain what this looks like, right? No, it's no, hard. it's definitely a swastika. It, yeah, it, that's, that's all it that's is. That's what it is. And if you're developing this religion in the 90s, it's not like, oh, it was developed before the Holocaust or anything like that. You can't say that you weren't aware. In every country around the world, you know what that symbol means. So I don't really understand why they used it. Yes, me neither. Yeah. I could not find any explanation. But, you know, for what it's worth, that's their symbol. In the early days, they called themselves a nonviolent and apolitical group since their focus was more on things like meditation, philosophy, and seeking enlightenment. They didn't really have time for or prioritize politics and anything like that. Over time, Falun Gong began getting attention from politicians because it promotes free thinking and critical thinking, which were, of course, highly discouraged under the regime at the time. By the late 90s, the Communist Party and public security agencies in China started treating Falun Gong as a threat. Various government agencies disapproved of Falun Gong because it was such a large organization which was independent from the state and their spiritual teachings were seen as a direct opposition to the government. Yeah, that's never going to be good. No, it's just immediately the government's like, everybody in the room is turning all eyes on them, it seems like. You know, like yeah. They walk in the room and it's like, you know. Um, yeah. They've just got a lot of attention on them and they're growing and it's becoming more scary to the powers that be that their numbers are getting bigger, that their people are encouraging free thinking. It's becoming a threat. The group became such an enemy of the administration that Falun Gong was considered one of the five highest threats to the ruling Chinese government. When the government began its campaign to eradicate the Falun Gong, its founder, Li Hongzi, fled to the U.S. so he didn't have to endure the persecution that many of his followers ended up being subjected to. 
Well, must be nice. Right? Yeah, just to have the privilege of just leaving. Like, okay, cool. Now that you guys have spread my religion to 70 million people, I'm out. Good luck with that. Appreciate it. See ya. That's a a real dick move. Yeah, real dick move. (laughs) By 1999, Falun Gong had reached its height in number of followers, and the government estimated that there were over 70 million people practicing Falun Gong. That is a lot of people. It's a fuck ton of people. It's a lot. <laughs> While the spiritual organization was growing, the state-sanctioned press was running a defamatory media campaign against them by publishing articles disparaging the Falun Gong. Most of the government media's campaign against Falun Gong sought to convince the public that they are an evil cult. Zhang Yu, a spokesman for the foreign ministry, said, quote, The Falun Gong cult violates human rights by controlling people's minds. He also told the press that Falun Gong needs to be suppressed because it encourages meditation and the paranormal over modern medicine. The Ministry of Civil Affairs declared that the Falun Gong was an illegal organization that was, quote, engaged in illegal activities advocating superstition and spreading fallacies, hoodwinking people, inciting and creating disturbances, and jeopardizing social stability. It just, um to me kind of doesn't add up that these people just, you know, meditating in the park are inspiring this much hate. Just immediately you're like, this isn't right. You know what I mean? Nothing they're doing really warrants this kind of attack. But it just kept going. Yeah, and I'm just immediately suspicious. Like, wait, so why don't, like, like, because illegal activities, right? It's like, but I thought they were just meditating so like you look into it and you're just like well what illegal activities you know but it's it's just any time that they want you to hate something so intensely right you just have to look at it i kept thinking there was going to be more i was like yeah i've got to look at this let me think let me dig let me use different search terms let me find different articles and i just couldn't find anything that really corroborated what the government was saying about them. Just take that for what it's worth. If you want to do research on your own, you can. I just couldn't find anything that was credible saying that the Falun Gong was really doing anything bad, you know? It really was just a combination of so many of the other spiritual practices that were, you know, approved of and fine with the government, you know? It didn't make any sense that they singled them out. Yeah, the key here is what you said, which is um, what you could find, right? Right, right. That is shown to you because you can find things that say Falun Gong is this nefarious group of people, right? But it is not credible. And that's really what it is. is It's more so like you had said that it's not credible, the things Mm -hmm. that you'll find. You can find it, but you can tell it's just straight up propaganda from the Chinese media. It's like, it's kind of creepy. It makes you almost like... There were a couple times when I was reading stuff and I started thinking like, oh, my God, they're 
they're trying to get me right now. Right. (laughs) They're trying to convince me to hate this group. Yes. Like, and and you start reading about it and you're like, well, yeah, that is terrible. I don't like that. And then you're like, but wait, no, he can't levitate either. Like, you know, there's all (laughs) these things. So it's, it's one of those you have to use your critical thinking and they don't want that. Yeah. I mean, if it was true and if it was legitimately a controlling cult with, you know, punitive uh, issues with the leadership hurting the practitioners or, you know, like, and true mind control and whatever it is. I mean, if it was that way, yeah, of course, we would be the first ones to be like, hey, that's a cult. Please don't join that. It's shitty. You know, but also the government shouldn't be doing awful things to them. They should just be like, hey, here's a warning. Don't don't join this cult, you know, but that's where it should end. But they were on a full all out assault to, in their words, quote, eradicate the Falun Gong for really no reason, because there's no ability to corroborate and confirm the things that the government was saying about them. It just is simply not true. They were making it up. They were intimidated by the large numbers and the free thinking. And they're like, we got to get rid of this group. It wasn't dangerous at all. It's funny because now, you know, now that I know how much they just hate these people, right? I am totally going to download meditation on YouTube, right? Because everything I it just seemed so it's Tai Chi it, to me. It just seemed so like, oh, okay. And I'm into meditation. We can do this. Right. Because, right. yeah, don't, don't tell me not to do something, you know? Eh, I don't know. I wouldn't do very well in the communist government. As you can <laughs> see, I would do the exact opposite of what they would want. Yeah, it's just, uh, it's striking to me because, like I said, from every source that I read, and I am not an expert in religions or spiritual practices, but everything I was reading was just pointing out that this was a direct combination of Buddhism and Taoism, which are approved by the Chinese government, that nobody has a problem in <laughs> with people practicing those religions or spiritual practices. Everything that they were drawing on from breathing exercises, meditation, Qigong, yoga, all these things are done by other groups, and it's okay. But the Falun Gong were not allowed. You know, it was this one group that was singled out. And it's just very scary that they started this all-out campaign that went to a very severe extremes. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. 
More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So the practitioners of Falun Gong would protest and picket but they were not able to completely stop the campaign against them. On April 25, 1999, over 10,000 Falun Gong practitioners gathered in Beijing for a silent protest outside the gates of Zhangnanhai, the Communist Party's leadership compound, to demand legal recognition and freedom from government persecution. In hindsight, this large demonstration is seen as the event that pushed the government to be more severe and treat them as a true threat to national security. On July 20th, 1999, the Chinese Communist Party initiated a nationwide crackdown and heightened propaganda campaign with the goal of completely eradicating Falun Gong. One method used to block people from finding Falun Gong-related websites, which, wait, one method used was to block people from finding Falun Gong-related websites, which meant that any person who was searching for Falun Gong on the internet would only find the the state-sanctioned negative propaganda. In October 1999, Falun Gong was declared, quote, a heretical organization which threatened social stability. And by the end of 1999, the government was coming down hard on anyone who was caught practicing Falun Gong or spreading its teachings. During the last months of 1999, the Ministry of Public Security issued a circular forbidding people from meeting in groups to practice Falun Gong possessing any Falun Gong literature, displaying Falun Gong symbols, or protesting any of these restrictions. Sounds like they're really close to burning books to me. Really? I mean, it's just every area of Falun Gong, they're just cutting it off. Yeah. By this point, it was common for members of Falun Gong to be arrested without cause, denied a lawyer imprisoned without trial, psychologically abused, sent to labor camps, tortured, and subjected to damaging conversion therapy methods. It's just all-out brutality. I mean, it's just horrific what they were doing to Falun Gong. Anyone who was caught Possessing materials, practicing, or anything was subjected to this terrible, just abusive, life-threatening treatment. A 41-year-old geneticist and former Falun Gong prisoner named Bu Dongwei recalls that himself and other Falun Gong prisoners were specifically assigned to share cells with more violent and dangerous criminals if they did not denounce their spiritual beliefs. 
In addition to being put in these cells with more dangerous people, the corrections officers would even encourage the fellow prisoners to target and abuse any prisoner who was Falun Gong. The ordeal was so harrowing that Bu Dongwei has fled the country since his release, just like so many others who were either scared off or radicalized by the persecution and abuse in China. I could see it definitely making a lot of people turn the exact opposite and just becoming like radicals. I mean, it makes perfect sense to me how, especially when it's like your government has turned on you. Yes. Of course, yeah, it's just going to turn you into a completely different person after this persecution. As of 2009, human rights organizations estimate that 2,000 Falun Gong practitioners have died as a direct result of being abused while in state custody. But there's many experts that think this estimation is incredibly low. It seems low already, just... With their numbers. Yes, yes. And as we'll see going forward, there's just so many accounts of this happening and so many things that they were doing to hurt the Falun Gong prisoners. It just doesn't seem possible that there were that few people. And that's a large number. That's too many. That's 2,000 too many. But still, I think the number is way, way bigger. Of course, these deaths really never make the news, and it's extremely difficult to find any information about them. The government just keeps it completely locked down. One of the victims that we do know about is 42-year-old folk musician Yu Zhou from Beijing. Yu had studied French at Beijing University before joining a folk music ensemble, who released two successful albums and even performed on TV. He was married to a poet and painter named Zhu Na, who had been imprisoned from 2001 to 2006 for practicing Falun Gong. Five years in prison just for your spiritual beliefs. It's just unbelievable to me. It's a big threat to them. Yes, just living in fear and not knowing when your wife is going to come home or when they could come for you. I just can't imagine. Yeah. So eventually she came home, like I said, 2006. But then on January 26, 2008, you was pulled over by police on the way home from a concert. And he was told that he had been speeding. Police decided to search his car. And they found Falun Gong literature along with a Falun Gong CD. Yu was arrested. And 10 days later, his family was called with the news that he had died and they needed to come pick up his body. His family was told that he had died because of a hunger strike combined with dehydration and complications from diabetes. However, Yu was healthy, and never diagnosed with diabetes prior to his arrest. It is believed that Yu Zhou died from the abuse suffered while in custody, 
But his family, as well as the press, has been repeatedly denied requests for a death certificate or an autopsy report or really any further information. I think that's what they encounter. I I mean, just, you know, we're the government and we're going to tell you no. And that's your answer is we're not giving you anything else. Right. What we say goes. And you just accept it. Yeah. Absolutely. Under that regime, of course, they said, you don't get the information. This is how we died. Accept it. Move on. And that's what they did with a lot of people. Because the government sought to villainize the Falun Gong and suppress any information about government-sanctioned human rights violations, it's extremely difficult to find anyone who will come forward and talk about their experience. However, there are a few people who have tried to share their story, including the family of Cao Chengling. Cao was a 77-year-old vice director of Dongfeng Paper Factory in Wuhan City of Hubei Province, who was known to practice Falun Gong. Even though he may have been a little bit older, he was actually in the army when he was young, and so he continued to stay fit, and he was known to be very tall and strong and athletic, even in his advanced age as he got older. On the evening of August 8th in 2008, when the Beijing Olympics began, Cao got on his bike and left home, but he never came back. His family began searching for him and even stood outside his work to ask people passing by if they had seen him. One woman said that she recognized him, but when she tried to speak, a man interrupted her and said, mind your own business. Excuse me, sir. We don't do that here. Right? (laughs) Where is he? You know, like, uh uh-uh. I don't know. Like, mind my own business. Who do you think you are? Excuse me. There's a 77-year-old man missing. Right. This is the time for us as a community to be like, okay, we're going to figure out what happened. Did you see him? Did you see him? Let's figure out what his last steps were. Where was he last seen? Like, Let's figure this out. It could have been anybody's grandpa, you know? Yeah, but the problem is, you know, it's it touches, you know, you can rat each other out, mother versus child even, you know, like if you have uh, contraband, right? You have something that you isn't, you're not supposed to have. Like everybody's afraid of each other because they're ratting each other out to the, the party, right? And all that stuff. It's very, like, it's very Nazi party-esque. It's, it's all that stuff that's going on. So everybody's like, mind your own business and don't talk about it. And just, you know, like, you're better off. You're going to bring the heat down on all of us, you know? Right. Yeah. Nobody wants to attract attention. Nobody wants to be the person that's singled out that later on, you know, they're coming to you for information or be established as a snitch or who knows, you know, like, yeah. or that they're afraid that if they tell them, hey, the government snatched your dad off the street, then the government's going to come after them, you know? So, yeah, yeah, people are living in fear and they don't want to tell the truth. And any person that, you know, their conscience gets to them and tells them, I really want to say what happened to this person, they're shut down, you know? Everybody else is like, no, don't say anything. And I feel kind of bad, like, using the analogy of the Nazi party, but it's just that, 
that Reich, you know, I don't know how else to explain it. Um, but that, yeah, no, I don't. Okay. I don't take that lightly. No, but I, I, you know, even in, of course, when, when you start diving into a case and really looking at it, you start talking about it to people. Right. And I mean, this is an all out genocide. This is what I've explained when I'm talking to people about it. It's a genocide. And, you know, one of the biggest examples we have of that in modern times is the Nazi party. So, I mean, of course, it draws comparisons when these people are practicing a certain religion. The religion, you know, is becomes an enemy of the state. The government decides it's going to, quote, eradicate this religion. And then they start employing tactics that we've seen the Nazi party use. And this is not that long ago. This is late 90s, early 2000s. I mean, that's what I kept coming back to also. Yeah, it's just, yeah, whenever I talk about it, I'm just like, and this happened, like, people know (laughs) about genocide. People know about the Holocaust. And this is something that, you know, so many people lost their lives. We'll continue to get into it as we, as the episode goes along. But I mean, they're snatching people off the streets like this 77 year old man and they're never seen again. You know, I mean, yeah, I totally understand. This is definitely, you know, it's, it draws the comparisons and I don't, take that lightly but I do agree with you that that's where my mind goes to is and that's not to minimize either side but it's just to say that that's one of the examples that we have of genocide in you know the recent past you know and this is very recent so it's definitely scary that a genocide like this could happen where just a religious group could just be so persecuted and and killed and it's government sanctioned it's scary I've been watching too much Man in the High Castle. Oh, God. (laughs) All right. All right. Nobody won. Nobody won that. All right. Keep going. It's too scary. So even though people had, you know, clearly seen him around his work and nobody was willing to talk, they couldn't find anybody that was willing to give them information. But it did seem like people knew something had happened and they just weren't willing to talk about it. Two days later, the family received a call informing them that he was in the hospital, so they rushed over to see him. When they arrived, they found him unconscious and bruised with a broken hand, head injuries, and lacerations on his back as though basically he had been kind of dragged on rough ground or like asphalt or something. Nuts. His family was told that he had a stroke and fell off his bike. But, of course, his appearance and injuries made it clear that he was involved in a physical struggle and altercation. This was not just, you know, a stroke or heart attack or something like that where you just fall over. You know, a fall is one thing. You've got a concentrated bruise. This was injuries all over defensive wounds, dragging wounds. It was bad. Because his family was Falun Gong, they knew this was possibly a motive, and they were extremely suspicious of the doctor who gave them very little information. So they requested a transfer to another hospital, but the doctor refused. 
So pretty much the only hope that they could cling to was that he would regain consciousness soon. And then once he was up, they'd be able to speak to him and he could tell him what happened to him. But shortly after, the doctor made an incision in his throat, which made him unable to speak, although he claimed it was to help him breathe. And my counter to this is that in everything I read, breathing was never listed as an issue that he had, nor does breathing seem like it would be an issue that would have been sustained from a stroke. A, you know, like it doesn't seem like it's explained by what the doctors were telling the family. No, we can't let this old man talk. No, exactly. At 6 a.m. on August 15, 2008, the doctor pronounced Mr. Cow dead, and his family is still hoping that witnesses will come forward with information about who snatched him off the street and beat him to death. As heartbreaking as these deaths are, much more extreme stories began emerging about what was happening to imprisoned Falun Gong members. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The same year the Falun Gong persecution campaigns began in 1999, the amount of prisoners was declining and the need for organs was increasing. It was no coincidence that there was a surge in organ transplants in China starting around 2000 when Falun Gong began being severely persecuted by the government. Previously, wait times for certain organs had been years, but suddenly... The wait list seemed to completely disappear, and organs became readily accessible. The surge in transplants was so severe that practically overnight, China had become number two in volume of transplants per year, right after the United States. 37 people in 2010 right. signed up. <laughs> 37 people provided enough organs for them to be number two. Sure. It's just unreal, this huge boom, this surge in numbers. China nearly tripled their number of operating transplant centers in the first year after the imprisonment of Falun Gong began. Within a decade... 
China increased from just a few hundred transplants per year in 1999 to over 10,000 in 2008. And these numbers were even confirmed by their Chinese Ministry of Health. These aren't numbers that are speculated or that some outside source that's not reputable. No, this is directly from the government. They admitted that there were 10,000 transplants in 2008, as opposed to just a few hundred 10 years earlier. No, they love taking credit for stuff. It's weird. Like, (laughs) that's what I noticed, too. They're just all about giving you these wild numbers that make no sense, but give them credit for things that they really should not be taking credit for. Anybody else looking at that would just be like, something's wrong. This is a horror story. There's theft happening here. Anybody would look at those numbers and say they don't add up. So them bragging about it, you're right. It's just completely asinine. It just doesn't make sense. They do it a lot. (laughs) A lot. Yeah. (laughs) Every other country has donors who volunteer their organs, right? However, like we said before, China didn't set up their donation system till 2010. So at this time, it was a complete mystery as to where this surge in organs was coming from. In 2001, a Chinese doctor testified that he had been part of extracting organs from prisoners, some of which he said were not even dead yet. In 2005, China's deputy health minister, Huang Jifu, said that yes, 95% of organs came from prisoners and that he would implement measures to help curb this practice. And again, this is them. This is their deputy guy coming out. Taking credit. Yeah. And you know what? Really quick side note. I'm sorry if we are completely butchering like Chinese here. I don't think we're that far off. I don't. But just in case, I'm just saying this out loud. No, I'm I'm not perfect at these things. I'm trying my best. No, we don't think anybody here is perfect, especially when you're reading all this three hours in a row. So... I'm just saying it out loud. I know it's it's hard enough to do all the research to put this together. And then (laughs) the fact that it falls apart when I'm butchering the names. It's okay, people. So I'm doing my best. I'm doing my best. You're doing a great job, friend. (laughs) In March 2006, whistleblowers came forward admitting involvement in forced harvesting of corneas from Falun Gong prisoners. By April 2006, the U.S. State Department formed the CIPFG, or Coalition to Investigate the Persecution of Falun Gong. The group asked Canadian Secretary of State David Kilgore and human rights lawyer David Matas to investigate the allegations and prepare a report. There had been rumors about Falun Gong followers held in camps, but of course, being killed to supply the Chinese organ transplant industry was a completely new escalated twist. China refused to cooperate with any officials who were attempting to gather data and investigate allegations for this report. Which is weird because they could have just given them all these false numbers like they do all the time. But this particular time, they don't want to be involved. Right. Mm, Interesting. Because they're not controlling the narrative. Exactly. 
Yeah. When Kilgore and Mattis were finally granted access to hospital facilities, it was abundantly clear that they had all been cleaned in preparation for their arrival, or basically harvesting had been completely shut down in anticipation of their investigation. When they returned to the U.S., they decided to utilize Mandarin-speaking agents to contact transplant centers in China, requesting a phone consultation and saying that they would be coming from the U.S. or Canada to buy an organ. And this is completely genius. They're like, if you're not going to cooperate with us, if we can't actually see your real facilities, we're going to have to be covert about it. We're going to have to try and get information other ways when you could just be transparent. And be honest, you know? Not if you're murdering people for their organs. Jeez, what do you mean? <laughs> I know. You're right. It's just so frustrating that, <laughs> yeah, that this is even happening and that they're having to do this and try and think of these ways. But it is an, an ingenious way to kind of go around the back door and pretend to be basically a customer and say, okay, here's a Mandarin-speaking person. I'm saying I'm from Canada and... I really need to get an organ. What can you do for me? You know, that's a great way to try and get in with a doctor or a transplant facility and kind of get some information because you're far away. You're from another country. You need all this information over the phone. It's not that you can like drive down the street and come in and do a, a consultation in person, you know, so they have it all on tape. It's great. Multiple agents specifically asked the doctors if they could get a fresh Falun Gong organ. And the doctors from multiple facilities assured them that the organs would be available within a week and be transplanted within 10 to 15 hours of harvest. This was significantly shorter of a wait time than any other country, since it usually took like three to five years to get a transplant of any organ in any other country. It's a big difference. Huge. It's just so clear that something's wrong. Overall, they were able to get about 15% of the doctors from facilities they contacted all across China to admit to using Falun Gong organs specifically. One aspect of the report centered on was the for-profit organ system, a byproduct of the 1980s healthcare reform, which made basically the medical community need to get creative to find ways to secure more funding. Kilgore and Matas discovered that certain Chinese hospitals that needed to generate income were catering to wealthy foreigners willing to pay fees starting at around $100,000 for a liver, lungs, and heart transplants. On the China International Transplantation Network assistance website in 2006, the going rates were... Corneas, $30,000, kidneys, $62,000, liver, $98,000 to $130,000, liver plus kidneys, $160,000 to $180,000, kidney plus pancreas, $150,000, lung, $150,000 to $170,000, and a heart, $130,000 to $160,000. 
And that's what was on their website. Just totally public. Just I could I could go on my AOL dial-up, yeah, whatever, <laughs> right? And maybe wait, maybe it's not that old. And I could go <laughs> on this website and just cl- type in click, 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 and just be like, I want a liver kidney package. Mm-hmm. And you could get prices. And then you could go from there to Expedia and get like hotel rooms and flights for your trip. <laughs> it's insane. It's true. It's unbelievable that you're right. I mean, that's the perfect comparison. It was as easy as booking a flight to buy an organ. That's yeah. unbelievable. It's not good. <sighs> In addition to wealthy individuals from outside the country, there were also high-ranking members from the government who were quickly supplied with transplant organs. I'm going to say something right now. But, you know, when you need a haircut, hey. All right, you can cut whatever you want. That's a very California joke. (laughs) But I'm just saying, of course, when you're in the government, you need the perks, right? Who cares? (laughs) These developers are throwing money at me. Come on. Yeah. I mean, anybody in a position of power, anybody with money, they could just prey on this system of stealing organs from these people that are just completely being eradicated. This group of spiritual practitioners. It's unbelievable. So crazy. A witness said, quote, China is different from other countries In other countries, patients wait for organs. In China, organs wait for patients. Eek. The Kilgore Matas report was published in July 2006 and concluded that since 1999, quote, the government of China and its agencies in numerous parts of the country, in particular hospitals and detention centers, have put to death a large but unknown number of Falun Gong prisoners of conscience. Some of the evidence outlined in the report was based on the number of executed prisoners not really aligning with the number of transplants and the fact that China has significantly shorter wait times than any other country. Outside experts have estimated that the number of China's executions is between two to 8,000 people per year. But that number isn't even close to the 10,000 transplants that are estimated to take place in China every year. Again, that's numbers that were given by their own ministry. (laughs) And we also know 37 donors, so those numbers don't add up. And it's like hard to know who even is beginning. I mean, I know he's telling the truth, but it's hard to know the true numbers, even from the people who are telling the truth. It's hard because it's just it's all so deceptive from the beginning because it's not deceptive. I mean, it's not even deceptive when there's no records like it's very easy to just pull numbers out of the sky because you never wrote anything down. So it's like, yeah, nobody's asking. So you can say, oh, we only did 10 when you did 10,000. Nobody's checking. And this is the challenge with these cases in general, and this case specifically, is just we don't really have the specifics and the names. And it's it's hard to really talk about something where there's not a, a case of, okay, this person is charged with the murder of that person. This is not one of those cases. This is a genocide. It's completely different. And... It's just so frustrating to see these numbers 
and not really know the true nature of how many people were suffering behind bars. We don't really know how many people were imprisoned that were just for Falun Gong. We don't know how many people were killed just for these organ transplants. These are just estimates. And the reality is they're real people. These are people's parents and siblings and and children, and they're all meaning something to someone. They're friends and family members, but we don't know their names. They're just a generic number. Oh, we estimate that it's about 10,000 people. We estimate it's about 2,000 people. And that's so unbelievably tragic that we just have no idea the scope of, of the people that suffered and that lost their lives during this time. We just don't know. It's all guesses. I really bummed myself out with that one. <laughs> that was rough. Yeah, it's like, sorry. Wow, wow. I'm sorry. Everybody has family just, members. This is all, all I've been thinking of this they're whole time. know their names and their dogs yeah. never had them. They never came home to see them or pet them again. It really is just all I've been thinking about is that we don't know any of these people. And that's why the few cases where we did know that, you know, someone disappeared off the street or someone was pulled over by the police, I included those names and those people that I could find or a couple witnesses that we're going to hear from. I included those things. But those are the only people whose names we have. Everybody else is just... Uh, gone, you know, just disappeared into the mist. We just don't know who they are and what happened to them. And it's just, it's heartbreaking. It's just really devastating. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. So as we know, because of health issues, medical conditions, and age, like we talked about last week, some people are not medically suitable candidates to donate. The donor also needs to match the blood and tissue typing before donation can be confirmed. So basically, doctors use this ratio they call the 10 to 1 to signify that it takes testing 10 people to find the one person that matches the patient needing an organ. So we can't just take one prisoner and take their organs, and then immediately transplant it into another person. We have to do all this testing and find the matches. And typically, you have to, from the doctors saying this 10 to 1 ratio, we have to look at 10 people before we find the one person that matches. So with that said, those numbers go up kind of astronomically. If they're testing all these people, taking organs, and some of them are rejecting possibly, they think that that is what ha- is happening because they're not being careful. They're just taking it, transplanting it, trying to see, like throwing stuff on the wall and seeing if it sticks, basically. Yeah. 
Like we talked about last week, the lack of donors and difficulty matching patients with compatible donors leads to long waiting times. So using kidneys as the example, the U.S. average is three and a half years, while in Canada, the wait time is four years, and the U.K., the average is two and a half years. In China, however, patients would have a suitable donor matched and the surgery transplant performed within two to four weeks. Some facilities and patients report being able to have the organ transplant performed within a few days. Okay. When they tell you that, right? They're like, okay, well, we've done no testing. Right. And everything we know is wrong. And we can't give you any numbers, but uh, we can have that, you know, cornea and kidney for you within three days. Isn't How that soon unbelievable? Like, and you still go through with it. Yeah. And even hearing some of the recordings from the investigation by Kilgore and Matas, where they're talking to these doctors undercover and the doctors are saying, just get here, just book your flight and we will have it for you. Book your flight, stay for a couple weeks and we will have your organ. Don't worry about it. We'll have it in a couple days. Unbelievable. I, I just can't wrap my head around it. The numbers don't add up, and it's so clear that they're just murdering these prisoners for their organs. There's just no two ways around it. Yeah. An American data compiling company called Quintilis IMS corroborated the estimates of high transplant numbers by confirming the high demand in China for immunosuppressive drugs that are always used after transplants. So it's not just these random numbers that are kind of pulled out of space. We are actually seeing that the drugs match the amount of transplants. It's a smart way to go about corroborating that. Yeah, absolutely. I was impressed with that. Yeah. The Kilgore Matzes report says, quote, the source of 41,500 transplants for the six-year period 2000 to 2005 is unexplained. And we believe that there has been and continues today to be large-scale organ seizures from unwilling Falun Gong practitioners. In 2010, Kilgore and Matas were nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize. Government officials tried to claim that the organs all came from executed death row prisoners, but they would not release statistics on how many prisoners are executed per year. But again, we've got the estimates that it's about two to 8,000. So the numbers don't add up. Well, just from, I mean, the fact that there's 41,500, it's like it's high-end 8,000, you know? It's just right. nothing, none of these numbers add up. None of them. doesn't matter what numbers. They just give you so many different ones, you get confused. Yep, and none of them really explain the severity of how quick it is to just get a transplant, to show up in the country and have an organ. Yeah. None of it adds up. Although the Chinese government was attempting to downplay or deny the allegations, other countries were taking the report very seriously. The Australian government announced in December 2006 that they had ended their training and research programs with China in their hospitals. 
Beyond the Kilgore-Matsas report, the other significant expert on Falun Gong organ harvesting is the 2017 Nobel Prize nominee Ethan Gutman, who is the author of The Slaughter, Mass Killings, Organ Harvesting, and China's Secret Solution to the Dissident Problem. Ethan studied international affairs at Columbia University before becoming an adjunct fellow at the Foundation for Defense Democracies, then co-founding the International Coalition to End Transplant Abuse in China. Ethan even testified before U.S. Congress, European Parliament, and the U.N. about Falun Gong prisoners in camps who were being executed on demand in Chinese prisons to meet the need for donors. For his book, Ethan interviewed over a hundred witnesses, including doctors, law enforcement, corrections officers, and Falun Gong practitioners who survived imprisonment. He estimated that 65,000 Falun Gong practitioners were killed for their organs from 2000 to 2008 and that between 450,000 and 1 million Falun Gong practitioners were detained at any given time. That's so many people. Unbelievable. Just rotating, not even rotating, just coming through a door and not going out the exit. Right. (laughs) Just coming in and not leaving. Yeah, nobody knows what, okay, so like... Nobody knows why they were taken off the street because the police aren't really telling the families what's going on. They're denied legal counsel. They're denied a trial. So they're just sent directly to a prison or labor camp. And their family has no idea. It's just unbelievable. I just, it makes my blood boil thinking that they were doing this to these people. Usually when you go into prison, you have a sentence and you get out. None of these people leave prison. No. The ones that went in for this shit in 1990, right, or 99, when the whole thing, they start cracking down, those people never left prison, and they're not there anymore. It's so sad. So it's like, okay, where are you then? Right. And nobody seems to be asking that question except for, like, these three guys. You know what I mean? Like, right, not really, right. but, I mean, everybody's the, asking. But The families are even scared. You're right, though. It's not that nobody's asking, but it is that very few people are asking because they're scared. Yeah. You know, they know how powerful the government is and they can't rock the boat. And, I mean, if they say anything, they could be snatched off the streets, you know, and they're just living in fear. So sad. A former Falun Gong labor camp prisoner named Cindy Song confirmed that she and fellow prisoners were subjected to physical exams, x-rays, ultrasounds, blood work, and other medical testing. Of course, we know these were not to ensure the health of the prisoner since they were torturing and abusing them in prison, but instead... It was to have their information readily available so they could be matched as a donor. When other prisoners were interviewed and the information was compared, it was concluded that the Falun Gong prisoners were all subjected to frequent medical testing, while the non-Falun Gong prisoners underwent no testing at all. 
So it was so clear from his research that the Falun Gong were specifically targeted for their organs. This was one of the most conclusive things that we could find, you know. It's clear that only Falun Gong prisoners were being targeted for their organs, and Ethan's research revealed that the elderly and unhealthy Falun Gong prisoners were almost more fortunate in the sense that they were not as harvestable as the young and healthy. So they had an increased odd of making it out of prison alive. Never been so happy to be geriatric. Right? It's just, yeah, oh, I have these health issues. Oh, thank goodness, because I can't disappear like the person next to me did in this cell. You know, I mean, just thinking that today could be the day that I could be taken out of my cell and not come back, you know? Like ordinarily, you wouldn't want to be bragging about all the problems you have, right? Right. But in one sense, you're like, God, I can't see anything. And my palpitations, I can't breathe. I think it's my asthma. They'd just be like, get out of this camp. We don't, whatever, just go back, get out of here, get out of here. Right. You might make it out alive. Or they're just going to kill you because you're just recessive as hell, right? But like at the same time, it's, like, it's yeah. No, it's proved to be safer to be unhealthy because. They'd keep you in prison for a few years, but then they'd let you go because it was just like, you're of no use to us. We're using you for your organs. And then you, know? you can go tell the story of how terrible prison is. Right. And Jeez. don't be in Falun Gong. Ay, ay, ay. Multiple former prisoners said that it was quite common for police and correctional officers to threaten to take their body parts when they were angry. So basically, if a Falun Gong practitioner was being reprimanded, a cop would say things like, I'll take your heart and liver out. Nobody could find your body. Or you won't know where your heart, liver, spleen, and lungs end up. Yeah. So it was like a common joke. Like, not only common knowledge, but something that they would threaten and, and like, make light of. It's sick. One of the people Ethan interviewed was a Chinese-born American doctor named Charles Lee, who studied at the University of Illinois and Harvard. When he was a young medical researcher working in China, he assisted on surgeries, including organ harvesting, of Falun Gong practitioners, who he said were still alive. Later on, he began practicing Falun Gong and was arrested, then imprisoned, although he considers himself lucky to not have been murdered and harvested. People that try this out, like, I'm telling you, tomorrow I'm going to be a follower, practitioner, because the people that, like, he was there watching them take organs out of Falun Gong people, and then he himself starts doing it, knowing that he is now going to be, you know what I mean? It's like... That's a risk, that, yeah. That's the last thing you want to do is start looking into meditation, right? But no, he went right into it, which makes me think, like, th this is a very... There's something to this for people. Right. It's it's it, like one of those that it gets... It's one of those um, self-help. And so it's very deep in you. And uh, I just, I could see this. <laughs> it's scary. This is scary to the government because he's taking the organs knowing what's going on. And then he still gets into this group. I mean, damn, he's proven their point. Yeah. Part of me wonders if it's just because he felt so bad that he's like, oh, well, 
I took these organs. I'm going to look into what this Falun Gong thing is all about. And then he started connecting with it. You That's know? exactly what I think happened. Yeah. Hmm. Many accounts from doctors interviewed by Ethan confirm that the harvesting is often performed while the victim is still alive, either from a non-fatal but severe bullet wound or through a dose of incapacitating potassium. The, bi- the victim is never given any anesthetic, so they are often awake and capable of feeling excruciating pain while their organs are being harvested. It's like Braveheart. Ugh. No. A former employee of a hospital in Liaoning known as Annie says she witnessed organs and tissue being harvested from live Falun Gong prisoners who were then sent down to the boiler room, which was converted to an incinerator used to kill prisoners after harvest. She also believes that some may have still been alive when they were incinerated. Way more than some. (sighs) At the same time, her husband was a surgeon who took part in these organ removals because he was afraid that the government, what the government would do if he did not comply. Eventually, her husband began having nightmares, panic attacks. He was easily startled and even flinched when she or their child touched him, so she convinced him to quit his job. They were forced to flee the country because they feared that the government would have killed him if he stayed. A former government official whose job had been to catch Falun Gong said to Gutman, quote, There's nothing that the CCP is not capable of doing. In jails and labor camps, prisoners are guinea pigs. They might as well be livestock. Well, no, I mean, livestock, like, almost have rights. I mean, Jesus, people kill each other over over cattle, you know? These people are less, less than that. Yeah. The recipients of these organs had no idea that another person would suffer so severely and be killed because they needed an organ. And many are haunted by that knowledge now that they're aware. Since the Kilgore Matsus report came out, UN officials have multiple times called upon Chinese government to account for where they sourced the organs used in transplants and called for sanctions on Chinese medical authorities. In 2008, again, China's deputy health minister, Huang Jifu, said he would institute measures to help curb this practice of harvesting organs from prisoners. But of course, he said the same thing again in 2010, when he announced that they would start transitioning away from prisoner transplants to only volunteer donors from a registry. But that same year, a Spanish citizen was able to easily travel to China for a liver transplant after paying $130,000 and waiting only 20 days. He just went to the website and then booked his flight. Right next to Expedia, you know? This was Travelocity. It's just unreal how easy it was. That's just... It's, oh, uh, it's not uh, okay. Infuriating. It's just, yeah, none of it's okay. 
In 2011, a group of American surgeons called for a boycott of Chinese science and medicine-related organ transplantation. In 2013, the U.S.-based organization called Doctors Against Forced Organ Harvesting came up with a petition condemning China's forced organ harvesting of Falun Gong. The petition was signed by 1.5 million people, then presented to the U.N., and signed by representatives from four continents. In December 2013, the European Parliament unanimously passed a resolution calling on China to immediately end the practice of forced organ harvesting from Falun Gong practitioners. Many countries have since come up with regulations which make it a criminal offense to engage in transplant tourism. In 2016, Ethan Gutman, David Kilgore, and David Matas authored an updated investigative report on China's organ harvesting. The report estimated that since the government had began prosecuting the Falun Gong, between 150,000 and 200,000 people had been harvested for their organs. That's such an astronomical number. It's unbelievable. It's Yeah, it is. It's way more than they, you know, can ever document. Right. The 700-page report contained a lot of previously unknown information and was covered by all the largest press outlets throughout the world. Chinese officials insist that they strictly adhere to the World Health Organization's standards for transplant and that they require written consent and any reports to the contrary are, quote, a total lie fabricated by the Falun Gong. Independent investigations and reports on the matter have concluded that China is still engaged in murdering political prisoners to harvest their organs. The Washington Post was one of the few media outlets who did an investigation and found the numbers much lower than the estimated 60 to 100,000 transplants performed in China. Today, Falun Gong creator Li Hongzi operates a 400-acre headquarters compound called Dragon Springs in Cudabac, New York. See, he doesn't even want... He's not even in China. He knows. No. He's like, I'll be murdered if I set foot anywhere but. So he's got this, like, crazy compound, like the, all, you know, good leaders do. And, <laughs> is, uh, and is just living the dream of an upstate. Right. He also oversees two nearby schools, Feitian College and Feitian Academy of the Arts, as well as a performing arts center. Although he was formerly known for his charismatic preachings, he's become kind of reclusive and reportedly rarely leaves his home in Queens. Many Falun Gong practitioners are still very active today. They are also the ones behind that, you know, the theatrical dance group Shen Yun. Um, locally, uh, if you're in L.A., there's a lot of ads for live performances they do. I don't know if that's everywhere, but definitely there's a lot of them around here. I think at a lot of colleges, they, they tour and perform. And it's there's a lot of commercials when they come into town, and it's just like yeah. the ancient art of Chinese dance. And they show the, the coolest looking dance. I've always wanted to go. My grandma went, and she loved it. Saw it at CSUN. <laughs> but um, I've never been. But when I realized that this is connected, and the meditation, and the, the, the Tai Chi in the park looking stuff, you know, it all kind of, they're very artistic. A lot of the people we read, we talked about here tonight were 
uh, musicians and artists and poets and stuff. It is definitely part of their, I don't know, like outreach or I don't know. They they definitely prioritize. The I think arts outreach and is dancing the good word. And yeah, they kind of promote their spiritual practice through like getting these performances out there. And the more people that'll come to performances, maybe they'll be interested in Falun Gong or act, ask questions or something. A hundred percent. Yeah. Because of their strong anti-communist beliefs, conservatives and Falun Gong actually aligned and were a large support of the Trump campaign in 2016. Falun Gong has its own media entity you may have heard of called the Epoch Times that today is usually recognized for its promotion of right-wing conspiracy theories, as well as promoting ads for the Trump 2016 election all over the U.S. social media. As I mentioned before, they didn't originally start out as political, but it seems like in the last few years, they've become a little bit more vocal about politics. They 100%. Um, it, I use the, like, the best way to describe this, I think, is the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Right. So Trump hates China, right? So it doesn't <laughs> make sense. But then at the same time, any, he hates communism. But so do they. So it's like, here, we both hate the same person. It, you know exactly what I mean. It's like, we can hate on this bitch together. <laughs> right? Like, that's what this is. And I know just from my own, like, cruising the internet life, anytime I've ever clicked a link from this or seen it or, you know, somebody posts something online and it's something very, like, it's inflammatory usually or it's a headline that's written in a way to sound different than it should. Sometimes it's just outright crazy talk. But they get, they've gotten a lot better at making it seem not as crazy as it is. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely a tactic of trying to make it seem middle of the road, even when it's a little bit outlandish. Yeah. But yeah, they've definitely clearly chosen a side and they're pushing it hard. Yeah. Uh, for, and I, I, for an organization that wasn't political at all, they're certainly not only involved in China, but like really pushing U.S. politics, which is yes. interesting. Yes, exactly. And... uh I just don't, you know, I was very, I was sold on the meditation aspect. But then this was also, once I put it all together, especially with the websites, that, you know, they're all connected to, it was very eye-opening in a sense. It's very strange. And then I'm just curious to see what their best friend does for them, you know, <laughs> like. How Trump because, can help the Falun Gong. <laughs> I mean, quite frankly, what the fuck? Yeah, he should. I mean, if he, if he's, they're supporting him like this, you know, scratch my back. Fuck. Stop yeah. this murder occurring in the Chinese That's... political prisons. But he can't do shit about anything. But still, it's just interesting because he's so, you know, China. Hate China. All the crap, right? But it's like, the enemy of the enemy is my friend. Yeah, it's just someone needs to step in because it seems like this is just still happening, even if it's on maybe a lesser scale. We know that as recently as 2016, they're still releasing numbers of prisoners that are executed for organs. So, I mean, the fact that this genocide is still happening and other countries are just writing reports on it. I mean, it just nobody wants to take on China. 
it's so unsettling. And I know, I know people are afraid it, to take them on. I know that a lot of, yeah, I, I get it, but it's also just, it really, really upsets me that this is happening in current times and nobody's really stepping up and doing anything about it, you know? Yeah. It's just... And it's oh, interesting, man. too, kind of the evolution of the group itself because, you know, like we said, started as meditation, went into, you know, a little more of a path of salvation sort of thing, um, and then really turned... It, the the most I saw it described often is Scientology is like their version of Scientology, and um, but is that propaganda from the state exactly. or is that that's the thing? Is like yes, there are we can find comparisons of like saying Falun Gong is like Scientology, yes, but exactly. we don't know if that's accurate because it's just so hard to find information that's not state sanctioned propaganda. That's why I tried, you know, in the interest of seeing all sides to include, yeah. you know, everything I could find. And it's just you can find negative talk about it. But then it is very interesting because if they're so close to Trump, how does this still work? Like, it doesn't make any sense. None of it. There's bigger things going on. Mm. <laughs> it's like I don't even want to talk That's about such it. Such a Courtney statement. There's bigger things going on. <laughs> I know. I just, I just feel like there's like this is like a the ultimate conspiracy theory thing. And the the worst part of it is it's not a conspiracy. It's happening, but it's just that we don't have the information. So your mind just wanders, and it's like okay, well, I mean, I, I don't even. Yeah, it's like you don't want anybody coming after you. If you speak right. up, if you say something, I mean, it's it's really wild and bizarre. And I wouldn't be shocked if, you know, I know Kilgore and Mattis had a lot of um, issues, you know, just with things happening to them while they were doing their investigation and stuff. And it's like, that's what keeps people from doing anything about it. And then, right. like, you know, the other governments, well, they have partnerships with China. Like, nobody's going to blow that. Right. So yeah. I don't know how this can end. I don't know. I don't know how this ends. I know. This is just this case is so deeply depressing to me because I don't feel like there's a resolution, a solution. Nobody's trying to help them. The numbers we think are decreasing because they've been caught and called out by so many different people and government entities. But at the same time, it seems to be still happening and it feels so hopeless that it's doesn't seem to be coming to an end anytime soon. And they're not really taking anybody's outside input seriously beyond just maybe covering it up a little bit better or decreasing the numbers a little bit. It seems like they haven't done anything to change and stop this genocide. I think the only thing that they have done is they have figured out that you need to have paperwork and you need to have numbers that make a little more sense than what you were giving us um because yeah i mean and l honestly they didn't get caught they just got like a finger waved at them in the sense right. like you that's as much as they could do yeah. so they don't care and honestly i don't i think china knows that nobody's gonna do shit and they just have to be better at hiding hiding their tracks and you know it's just, yeah, this one's been really messed up. And, like, the two of us in the brain have been jacked up. 
because yes. it's just this doesn't end. There's no resolution. We like to do things that have resolution. And it really is like, you know, unsolved crimes and missing persons and stuff like the vic- the families that are stuck that every day it's like they could walk home tomorrow. They could come home tomorrow. It's like that open endedness. That's how yeah. this is just so heavy. No resolution at all. None. If there's ever like a, you know how they used to do like the Tibetan Freedom Concerts with Rage Against the Machine? Yeah, we need to get them on this. We need to do a Falun Gong concert with Rage Rage Against Everything. I'll hit up Tom Morello and see what he's up to. Please. (laughs) I would, oh God, they're one of my favorite bands. I would love that. Yeah, it's just, so I kind of, I feel like I need to apologize because I feel like my tone is even different. Like I sound different even talking about this subject because it's just so different deeply affected me and made me feel so depressed because I just I I, I, there's so many people the numbers are so staggering and there's so many families and survivors and and people waiting for loved ones and friends to come home and I just wrapping my mind around it has just broken my heart so I'm sorry if I sound just like kind of a robot right now but I've just kind of clicked off my heart for right now so that I don't completely fall to pieces like talking about all these people disappearing and all these procedures performed while people are alive and awake. I mean, it's just so gruesome and disturbing and horrifying that this is happening. So yeah, I've we tried to give all the information and that's all I can do. <laughs> There's We don't have any solution or justice or anything, but that's the story of Falun Gong. Those are the facts and that's kind of all we can present, you know? Yeah. So that's, and that's the last organ harvesting case that we're going to do. We aren't going to cover any more organ theft because, um, Quite frankly, we can't really find a lot of cases, and I don't think that emotionally we could probably handle another one. So we're going to move on to letter P next week. We're done. It's over. I'm wrapping this one up for the sake of, I'll take care of my partner here. (laughs) We're moving on. (laughs) We need to just go to the next one because this is just way too emotionally draining. It's no good. uh, Yeah. So... Before we get out of here, just to remind you, we've got merch available on Threadless. You can get t-shirts, mugs, phone cases, towels, um, all sorts of stuff. And if you want to get access to bonus episodes and ad-free episodes and all sorts of stuff, you can join our Patreon, which is at patreon.com slash Podcast. And we want to thank the few people that joined our Patreon this week. So thank you to Sierra, Megan, Casey, and Destiny. Thank you. Thanks, you guys. We appreciate you being on our Patreon. And if you want to join, just follow that link in our show notes. And we also have links to the research material and all the resources that we were reading. If you have any desire after hearing all that to dig deeper, <laughs> um, be my guest. The links are in the show notes. And I think 
that's kind of pretty much it for us. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and you'll see when our episodes are coming out, when our Patreon episodes are coming. We'll get some memes and some breaking news and true crime tidbits. And I think that's pretty much it for me. You got anything, Court? Um, September 30th, I think it is on Netflix. There's a new Chris Watts documentary coming. Oh, I just coming. saw that. Yeah. I just read that like like 10 minutes before I got in the booth. And um, that'll be interesting, I guess. Um, I can't think of yeah. anything right now. Nope. Nothing. Nothing nope. in the brain. <laughs> it's empty right now. So, yeah. Well, it's empty because we've just talked about some awful shit for a while. Yeah, so. that's why. Yeah. So right. that's pretty much it. We're going to be moving on to a new letter next week. So if organ theft isn't your thing, which I've discovered it's not mine either, um, and you'd rather hear about something else, do not despair because we will be talking about a new subject for a new letter next week. Cool? Can't wait. So you guys have a good one. Take care. We will see you next time. Bye. Bye.